Welcome everyone to a brand new episode of Ian's Untitled Scene Show. My name is Ian, and this is very cool because right now on the phone, I have a member of Supergroup Kill the Lights. It is Travis Montgomery. Travis, man, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am not doing too bad. And I think the first thing I want to say right away is, how does that moniker of Supergroup still feel to you? Do you like that? <laughs> ah, man, it's it's weird, but it's awesome at the same time. Yeah, I've heard that thrown around a lot over the past, I don't know, a couple of weeks. You know, seeing reviews come out and also doing other interviews and things like that. Yeah, um, and it it feels good because, um, you know, I guess growing up, but um, mostly after I started playing guitar, you know, Dream Theater was a huge and it's still a huge influence. They're always considered a super group. So to have yeah. that word thrown around with us is kind of like, wow. Because <laughs> you know, when, I, when I hear that word, I think of guys like that. You know? Right, right. Yeah, so you might as well you know, get used to it for a little while, I would think. Because <laughs> this is, I would say, the first super group to come around in a while, at least in the scene, for sure. So it's got to be kind of cool to hear that, just like you said. So we're going to talk about a ton tonight. But one of the first things I really want to get out there too is I want to make sure I have all of this correct and I, I kind of need a status update from you. So okay. right now, I've got you in five bands currently. Is that true? Um, I'll, I'll name I them off. I don't even know. Okay, <laughs> I'll name them off for you and we'll see, we'll see if we got this right. So I've got, okay. obviously, we got Kill the Lights. We've got yep. Maytow. Mm -hmm. We've got the Jeff Loomis Band. Right. We've got No Susceptor, mm -hmm. and then, of course, Threat Signal. Now, am I missing anything else? No, that's it. Wow. Okay, that is impressive. Now, I think... Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> okay, good, good. I mean, I've been following your career for a long time, so this is very cool to be able to catch up with you on this brand new band, which I'm a fan of, but also to kind of get an update on what else you're doing. So before we get into everything Kill the Lights... Mm -hmm. what is the status of these bands? you have like a quick update you can do? Because I think the big thing is some of the band members that you're currently with in Kill the Lights are no longer with their previous bands, but you're still with yours. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll just kind of go through and give you an update, like you said. So awesome. uh, with Jeff, I haven't really done anything with him since the one tour that we did back in 2013, we did like a U.S. tour with soil work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, after that, he was planning on going back home and writing. And he even, you know, asked the current guys in the band, which was, you know, a noob Sastry on drums. Mm -hmm. And then uh, our bassist named Alex Weber. Yep. And, uh, you know, he was going to actually have us on the album and stuff like that. And then he just got crazy busy with Arch Enemy. Right. Right. And, you know, that just kind of took off for him. So um, that didn't ever really happen. Um, I know he is working on another solo album, which is awesome, but I don't, our schedules will just have to line up depending okay. on if he's going to keep the same live band or not, or if he's even going to tour at all for it. You I know? see. Okay. Um, so that's, that's it for Jeff's stuff. Um, Maytel, I did an album with a second album with her a couple of years ago. Yep. Um, and she's kind of just still doing the YouTube thing, and she hasn't um, she hasn't brought up doing any other tours or another album. And she knows that I'm busy, currently busy with Kill the Lights. So yeah, 
Yeah. I don't think I don't think she's necessarily trying to push anything. Ah, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um. So no susceptor. The last thing that we put out was our. Well, the second album that I was actually a part of. Um, we put that out. Jeez, I think that was 2017. Yeah, I want to say 27. It was uh, Penumbra, right? Yeah, Penumbra. It was like early 2017, like yep. January or February or something like that. Um, so the reason we haven't done anything since then is because I'm the main writer. Ah, okay. So JD and Scott, the, the vocalist and the bass player, those guys are two of the founding members. Mm-hmm. And they did an EP before I was a part of the band. Um, called the sum of all scars mm-hmm. and so they wrote all that stuff together and then once i came into the picture with that's when things started to change up and i became more of like a primary writer ah. so at the moment they kind of rely on me to write the material but because i'm so busy with other things yeah. it's kind of hard for me to find time to delegate towards that and that's why there's such so. yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's why there's so much time between releases with that band. Right. And that makes total sense. Sorry? Oh, no, that makes complete sense. No, I, I totally yeah. get that. Now, I know Threat Signal, obviously, right. that's your that would be your main, you know, what you might call your main band. And you had yes. Disconnect come out in 2017. Yeah. So what's the status with them? Uh, you know, our vocalist, John, he's in another band now called Immonolith with some of the guys from Devin Townsend band oh. and Strapping Young Lad. Okay. I'm going to check that out. And, All right. Yeah. They just put out an album not too long ago as well. Oh, wow. So okay. it just happened. Yeah. So it just happened that John and I ended up jumping the different projects around the same time. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of doing our own thing. Um, but again, that's another case of me being the main writer in that band. And I have been for the past couple of albums. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I'm not writing material, nothing's really getting done. Right. And, uh, and kill the lights has been my focus for like the past couple of years. So disconnect came out. We did maybe like one or two small tours. And then I randomly, you know, got hit up by moose and yeah. it's been my focus ever since. So um, that's, I, I didn't, the band is still a thing, you know, I never quit the band, but it's definitely not, it's not my focus at the moment. Yes, and right. it's not, it's not John's focus either. Cause he's got a monolith to focus on. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for going through that. I, yeah. I really appreciate it because yeah, I know a lot of people listening are very, you know, not only were they excited about the bands that you're in and, you know, past music, but then also kill the lights. So you mentioned that you kind of got started with that around two years ago or so. And I know Mm -hmm. you've, I mean, this is very cliche, but I know not everyone knows the story of how this all came together. Do you mind at least telling the part about how you got involved with everything? Of course. Um, So I actually got brought into the project. It was like summer of 2018. Okay. So it would have been like May of 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just hanging out at home, nothing really going on. I was kind of thinking like, man, I wish, you know, I wish I was doing stuff musically, you know, threat signal wasn't really doing much. And then all of a sudden I, I checked my email and I have an, an email from Moose and I'm like, okay, it just says Moose on there. And it said, you know, it has like music stuff in the title. I'm like, what is this? And I check it out and he's like, Hey, my name is Moose. I'm a sounding 
member of Bullet for My Valentine. I, you know, I played drums. Uh, he's like, you know, I, I haven't been a part of the band for a couple of years now, but I've got a new project. And, you know, I have Jordan from Still Remains on guitar. And yep. I've got James from Throw the Fight on vocals. Let me know if you'd be interested in hearing some music. And I was like, is somebody messing with me right now? <laughs> you know, because like you don't expect somebody like Moose just to send you an email and be like, hey, you want to be in a band together? Yeah, right. Um, so I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely like to hear some music. So he sent me over a demo of, uh, what was the faceless at the time. And I was like, man, I I love this. This is different from what I've been doing throughout my career, but it's exciting because it reminds me of like early 2000 stuff that, you know, kind of like kill switch type things that I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. So he's like, okay, cool. Well, I live in the UK, so um, I'll get one of the other guys to give you a call. And you guys just chatted up for a bit. So Jordan gave me a call and we talked for like an hour or so, just kind of feel things out and get an idea of what was going on. And he was like, you know what, just send a demo of a guitar solo over and we'll check it out. Ah. So they, they expected for me, you know, for it to take me like a couple of days. <laughs> I literally sent them back a demo in like four hours. <laughs> you know, I was like stoked. So um, it, it, it was different than what ended up on the album. Um, but like the skeleton of what is there is what I sent over a demo. Yeah. And they were just like, holy shit. You know, like this guy's on top of it. Because um, they had another guy lined up to do lead guitar stuff. But apparently he was just like kind of flaky. Uh, you know, like he just, it took him forever to get stuff done. So they were looking for somebody that was just, you know, when they need stuff to get done, they're like, Hey, let's do this. And they liked the fact that I was like, you know, I got him back a demo in the same day. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, so they were, they were really, really excited about that. And they, you know, they brought me on board and that's pretty much it. And, you know, it didn't take long for us to get in the studio after that. Wow. So now, when you when you talk about them reaching out, when Moose reaches out to you, mm-hmm. did they ever, you know, after you got the gig, did they end up telling you why they reached out to you in the first place? Like, I'm assuming they were fans of yours or familiar with your work, obviously, but is there something else that made them want to specifically reach out to you? Yeah. So the album was produced by Colin Richardson mm-hmm. and also Chris Clancy. Yep. who is now also our bass player. Oh, so he's, by the um, way, sorry, not to cut you off right there, but he's now officially in the band? Officially, yeah. Awesome. Now there's even more of a super group right there. So that's that's great. Yeah, it's it's actually the perfect fit because not only did um, he help kind of write the bass parts, but he also tracked a lot of the backing vocals on the album. Right, So it just okay. it ended up being perfect because now when we do it live, it should sound exactly like the album. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, Chris helped produce the album and uh, the other guys were, you know, planning stuff with him and Colin to go in the studio. And they're like, man, we don't have a lead guitarist lined up. And like, there's a lot of places for solos. And the guy they had at the time, I don't really know who it was, um, just apparently wasn't working out. So they asked Chris if he knew anybody. And luckily... uh, Threat Signal had toured with his previous band. We toured with him way back in 2010. He was right. in a band called Mutiny Within. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I got to know Chris from touring with him back then. And we kind of, you know, we chatted a couple of times over the years. But 
he was like, yeah, I know a guy, um, but he's in a band. I don't know if he's available, but I'll, you know, here's his info and hit him up. And apparently they watched some of my Instagram videos and this was like, holy shit. Oh. Like, yeah, we got to try to get this guy. That's great. So, um, yeah, after Chris recommended me and they watched some of my Instagram stuff, that's when they decided to reach out and see if I was available. Oh, okay. Well, that is that is very cool because you actually you beat me to the punch on one of the questions was, I had seen the live stream that <laughs> you guys did, you know, the previous week where you got, it was like 20 something minutes long and you guys were playing yeah. directly from the center. And that was a very cool experience to see that. But then also to see Chris there yeah. and not really know what his place was going to be. So that's very gotcha. cool. Yeah. Very cool to hear that he's full-time in the band. And it's cool that that kind of all came around to you actually getting into the band in the first place. Right. Very cool. Well, now, let me let me ask you, just because I brought that up, that live stream that you guys did, what was that like for you? Because everyone was in their own separate area. And it sounded really, really good. You know, it, it sounded like the band was together. Right. How was that for you as a player? Um, it, it's weird because, like, we can't... It's just weird doing that and putting it all together and being like, well, it's live, but, like, we can't be in the same room, right. you know? And it's like we're all dying to just get in a room and jam together and play these songs because the album's been done for so long so we're just dying to get on the road and just jam together but um it's weird but it's cool at the same time i don't i'm not really sure how to feel about it you know yeah, yeah i'd imagine i mean knowing you and knowing how much you like to go out on tour and play live this mm -hmm. whole i mean just covid and everything that's happening has to be killer for you because it's just got to keep you away from something that you love yeah definitely and you know i I think the last time that I was probably touring heavily mm -hmm. with with Threat Signal mainly was back and probably all the way up until about 2012, 2013, something like that. But I haven't really toured much, you know, in the past six or seven years. It's kind of been, you know, Maytel had a couple tours. I yeah. did stuff with Jeff and then Threat Signal did stuff off and on. Right. But I haven't done heavy touring in quite a long time. So I was really excited to get back on the road and we had touring plans and then COVID hit. And it's just like, man, yeah, <laughs> what's going on? You know? Absolutely. Now I'm assuming that tour was pretty comprehensive. I would assume, especially, you know, getting the super group together, having this big, big album come out the center, I would have thought, especially with, you know, trying to sell the album while you're out, while you're also out on tour would have been a big deal as well. Was all of that planned out or did COVID even stop that before it even became something to come to fruition? Um, a bit of both. So we, the Fearless, um, our label, yep. their plan was for us to be on tour when the album came out. Yep. And the album was originally supposed to be out in like May or June. Ah, okay. You know, we had a, we had a date set. It was ready to go. And they were, you know, trying to find a tour. And uh, we, you know, we were even planning stuff for now, like in the fall. And then we, you know, we had download festival and all this stuff. Oh. So there were a lot, there were a lot of things in place mm -hmm. that kind of got pushed, you know, canceled or moved around. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's got to be extremely tough. And then right now, when you mention 
not being able to be even in the same room. You know, there are bands out there that are doing those, you know, larger production-filled live mm-hmm. events where, you know, you pay a certain amount of money and you can actually see the stream as well. But right. how many pl- how many people in the band right now are overseas? Um, right now it would be two of the guys. Yeah. Um, Moose and Chris are both in the UK. So that means most likely, especially with travel bands and mm-hmm. you know, probably not wanting to fly yourself anyways, to have to go over there or for them to come over here, the only way you guys can technically play live is by doing what you guys did the previous week. Right. I think because of the travel, nobody is allowed into the U.S. right now, right? Yeah, I think it's something... I think something, that's the way it is. Yeah, there might be... I, I can't always remember... I, I know we can do domestic travel. We mm-hmm. might be able to go to Canada depending on, you know, if they let us. But yeah, right. technically, we're not supposed to be going unless you're in a quote unquote essential business. I don't think you can travel. And even though we might consider music essential, I don't think other people do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, at the very best case, you know, Jordan, James, and I might be able to fly over to the UK, but I know I'm pretty sure that the guys over in the UK wouldn't be allowed into the US at the moment. Yeah, and that, unfortunately, that definitely makes sense. Well, now, I I saw the number that came up, obviously, on the phone when we're we're talking, and I I know a little bit about your background, but Mm -hmm. where are you actually located right now? Right now, I'm in Utah. Oh, okay, Utah, because I know you've had some past experience in Texas as well. How is Utah treating you? Because I know a couple of bands from there, but not a whole lot. But then also, how is Utah, I guess, how are the COVID regulations in Utah? Because I'm in in Boston right now, and it's it's pretty insane here. They really have not let up with a lot of the rules of where you can go. Bars still aren't open, you know, all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. What is it like in Utah for you? Um, okay. So I, I grew up in Texas. I'm, I'm 31 years old and I spent probably about, probably about 23, 24 years of my life in Texas. So most, most of my life. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I prefer Texas for sure. It's a much more laid back chill state. Then so, plus that's all where my friends and family are. Mm-hmm. Um, but Utah, Utah is nice. Like if you like outdoorsy stuff, then this is like the perfect place for you because there's like um, there's mountains where I am and there's the desert down south. There's just like everything here for outdoorsy stuff. Which right now is good. If you like outdoor stuff, it's like what you can actually do right. during this weird time. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's perfect for that kind of stuff. Um, but for as as far as COVID goes. And it's been really weird here because they, it's like one of the few states where just the government hasn't cracked down. So it's been like pretty relaxed. Okay. So uh, it's the way that the Salt Lake area is kind of separated isn't it's in like two major counties. Mm -hmm. So there's like a huge point of a mountain and that's where it, it, they decided to separate it. And the Northern part is Salt Lake County where Salt Lake city is. And I'm in the Southern part, which is just called Utah County. Ah, And it's not as near, it's not as near as busy. It's not as, it's still a city, but it's not like a typical gridded out type city, like a big city that you would think of like Salt Lake is. Sure. Um, So Salt Lake County has been a bit more strict where they've required masks when you 
going anywhere. Ah. Um, and where I am in Utah County, it's, they don't require masks unless a business specifies that you that they do. Okay. And as far as I know, like some bars are even open. Wow. You know, and even and even then, like you know, you to wear a mask until you sit down at a bar. Yeah. Obviously, right. so you can drink or eat or whatever. Sure. Um. So it's still pretty relaxed because I know I've been up and hung out with friends up and they live in Salt Lake County and you can go to restaurants and stuff, but it's the same kind of thing. They just re- require you to wear a mask until you sit down at your table and then you can take it off. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, a little bit, a little bit different there. Is it stopping you from doing anything specific that you like to be able to do? Not really. Okay. I mean, mostly everything I like to do is at home. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I play, I play music. Um, I've been a huge gamer for most of my life yeah um and i like i like cars a lot Ah, so if i want to if if i want to go drive my car through the canyons i can go do that no problem and you know i'm not going to bug anybody and i don't need to wear my mask so mostly everything i like to do is either at home or i can just go drive around oh that's very good be myself anyways right right well now i guess the question too is so when you're when you're at home and you're able to practice and you're able to do music what type of practice do you do so that you're ready? You know, most likely we're probably not getting any live shows, I would say, at least this year. Mm-hmm. Hopefully earlier next year, you know, we hope, but who really knows? But in order to, you know, be in shape, you know, quote unquote, in shape for ready for music, to be able to play everything that you need to have that stamina on stage, how much do you actually practice? Uh, so I don't. I don't practice a whole lot anymore unless I know I have something coming up that I need to prepare for. Oh, okay. And then I, pr- then I practice like crazy. Like if we have a, a set list made up and I've got, you know, we're supposed to meet in a month, you know, to start jamming and practicing, mm-hmm. I'll play it usually two to three times a day for that whole month and just get ready. Um, but right now I only play guitar probably a couple, couple days a week you know, three or four days a week. And even then it'll just be a couple hours at a time. Um, but I, I really just try to keep my chops up with uh, the solos that I have on the album and the, and the songs that I know that we're going to be playing live. Um, just cause I, I purposely tried to push myself in the studio yeah. and there's, there's still a couple solos on that album that I'm like, man, I, I really kind of screwed myself where I'm going to have to like, <laughs> I, they're like still at the edge of my ability. <laughs> oh, very <laughs> you know? cool. All right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's tough for you, but it worked out well for us because we got to hear right. it. So that's, that's very <laughs> cool. Well, going into that, I mean, you know, obviously I like to jump around a little bit and kind of understand where you're coming from on all this craziness that's going on. Mm-hmm. But now, obviously, you had the sinner come out. And I'm going to ask a, a quick background question. So okay. it came out on Fearless, but... When I look back at, you know, all the bands you guys have been associated with, I don't think any of you guys have had any association with Fearless necessarily. No. So how did that, yeah, how did that relationship happen? How do you guys know you wanted to go with Fearless? So um, we we actually did the album ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the entire thing was completely mixed and mastered before we even started looking for a label. Right. Um so our manager, Ryan, 
he's worked with Moose for a, a really long time. Like they're really good friends. He's a a drummer for a band called Funeral for a Friend. Oh, my one of my all time favorite fr- <laughs> all time favorite bands, right there. Okay, so Ryan is our manager. I did not know and, that. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, and he worked. He was part of a management company. I think they were called Raw Power. Okay. Or or something like that, and that was the company that managed Bullet. Ah, I gotcha. Okay, so it's a management thing, not necessarily a label connection. Right. So, um, one of the guys over at Fearless came to Ryan because Ryan started his own management company. He split from that Raw Power company, mm-hmm. and he started managing us. And he's made his own company now. And um, one of the guys from Fearless came to Ryan and was like, "Hey, do you do you know of any bands, or do you have any bands that might fit in our roster?" And he was like, "As a matter of fact, I do have one." <laughs> yeah. So he sent over a couple of songs from the album, and they were like, "Holy shit! Okay, yeah, we got to work on this. We got to yes. get this going." So we hadn't even really reached out to, I think, many other labels at that point. I know Ryan sent it out to a few other people, but that was the first label that like heard our music and was like, we have to make this happen. Ah. So they, you know, it took probably about eight or nine months to negotiate the deal with them Mm -hmm. that, you know, everybody was happy with, but they really worked with us and like everybody at the label is really, really excited about the music, which is nice. Yeah, that is, that is very cool. And it's also nice, you know, I know a lot of bands from fearless. I've had a lot on the show you know, previously as well. And it's nice to see that kind of that metal, metal core, progressive metal core, you know, all the subgenres that you Mm -hmm. want to talk about. It's nice to see them really focus on that kind of music again, because they do kind of skew off to a lot of different subgenres, you know, of the scene music. So it's, it's cool that that happened. And by the way, I was going to bring up, I had seen that Funeral for a Friend recently had promoted Kill the Lights. And I was like, Right. You know, I know they're friends with Moose. I know they've known them and I believe they've toured at least one time. I might be off on that. But I think, I think that, more than that. Yeah, yeah. There was definitely an overlap before mm-hmm. Funeral for a Friend technically ended. Right. So I, I know they know that, but that's a very cool connection that I was not aware of. So that that's awesome. Yeah. So now that, that answered another one of my questions. So that's great. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. So I know you went over to the UK as well. You know, when you were, you know, you got the call or the email and mm-hmm. you talked and, you know, you got together, you became the band, you went over there and you recorded. Now, when you talk about pushing yourself on the solos to really bring something special, something very difficult, what was the writing process like with Kill the Lights compared to other bands that you worked with? Was there any comparison or was this completely different? It. The same and and very different at the same time, because the way that I generally write things is um, I'm the kind of person that will like write. And uh, I guess I'll, the other guys in the band are the same way, but like we'll write entire demos and bring that to the table. Ah. Whereas like I know other bands, um, you know, friends of mine in other bands, they they might work in the same room with their band and write all together or they might just write you know, the structure of a song and then bring that to the band and be like, all right, let's finish this together. Um, But Jordan and Chris and I generally write an entire demo. We, you know, until it's like pretty much completely done and then we'll send it over and kind of tear it apart. Ah, okay. So that, that didn't necessarily change, 
like the way that I did solos, I did the entire thing and then brought those over into the studio. Um, but the different side of it, and this is the first time I've ever had this, and it's really nice, is actually having two awesome producers there sitting in the room, tearing it apart and helping me re- rewrite you know, every single solo on the album. Wow. Yeah, so what they did, um, so Chris was the one in the room every day while we were doing lead guitars and he was the one that actually helped me restructure the most. Mm -hmm. And then Colin would come in the room and he kind of give his final approval or if parts were off, he'd be like, yeah, I don't know about that part. Let's, you know, you guys rework that. Um, But it was nice because Chris kind of reined me in a bit. Um, The demos had a lot more like shreddy, unnecessarily shreddy parts. Oh. Um, And he, he was like, you know what? You, your solos are really cool, um, but you got to have parts in there that even non-musicians could get stuck in their head. Ah, okay. All right. You know, so he's like, the, the, shreddy, the shreddy stuff is awesome, but like for somebody that doesn't play guitar, they'll hear that and be like, oh, well, that's impressive. <laughs> and that sounds cool, yeah. but that's it. You know, he's like, you know, you need to get rid of the stuff that doesn't, that's kind of nonsense and put melody in there and put some, you know, cool harmonies that'll get stuck in people's head. So that's what he did. Um, what I would do is I would lay down like a quick one take of the demo solo that I had. And then we would just go piece by piece and take out the parts that he didn't think fit. Ah. And then we would rewrite it. And then once we were happy with what we had, then I would actually track the final version of it. Wow. That's what, that's like the whole process of what we did in the studio. That seems very intensive. Like, are you a person who can really take that kind of critique? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really care. Like, I know some people um, get kind of butt hurt about like because it's it's your art, yeah, you know. Right. So if somebody comes in the room and is like, "Man, I don't know about that," and you put a lot of time into it, you know, some people can get upset. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm that's never really upset me. Okay. If somebody comes, as long as the person has like constructive criticism, right, right, then I'm fine with it. You know, if they can throw out other ideas or at least let me know why they don't like something, then I can work around it. Um, the shitty part is when somebody just comes in the room and they're like, I don't like it. <laughs> and that's all they can offer, you know? Right. Yeah. There's it's no, like, yeah. Why, why do you not like it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, that that like I said, that seems pretty intense. Uh, how long were those sessions where you would be kind of dissecting each solo? Oh man, um, it was all day. Wow. Like we'd get there at like you know ten o'clock in the morning, and then it'd be dark when we left. Ah, you gotcha. know, and we'd have uh, there were guys helping out at the studio, and they would run and go. You know, there's like a cappuccino machine there, so they would make us coffees when we needed it, or they would go run and grab us food. So we were like, we were working all day long wow. without taking breaks. Um, so there were a few that I actually wrote in the studio too. Mm-hmm. So um, those days took especially long, right? Um, but it it was definitely like you know a twelve hour twelve hour day type thing. Damn, damn. Well, yeah. what was it like? So that's the solos. Now, what mm-hmm. was it like? Did you do that completely separately with your producers, mm-hmm. or did you also work with Jordan and Chris at the same time? Well, you're already working. So with Chris, it was, yeah. it, it was kind of weird uh, the way that we did it, and it ended up working out great. But um, so Moose tracked 
the demo he sorry not the demo moose tracked the drums first okay. and they did that at a completely different studio they rented out um this place called chapel studios mm-hmm. just because colin had worked on previous bullet albums there and him and moose really liked the drum sound ah, okay. so they did that and then i think jordan flew in at the end of those sessions and they started guitars like a couple days later so i flew in after they'd already been tracking guitars for like a week oh the rhythm guitars and that was actually the very first time i ever met those guys was when i flew out and got to the studio (laughs) so jordan tracked like 99% of the rhythm guitars. Okay. Um, and just, just for consistency sake and just because he, he actually did a lot of the writing too. Mm -hmm. Um, so he tracked a lot of the rhythm guitars. And then at the time we didn't really have a bassist set in stone. And we were talking about who, who were we going to get? And, um, Mm -hmm. at the time they knew this guy, Davey, who was in a band called glamor of the kill. Oh yeah, sure. So Davey, Davey came out and like tracked a couple riffs on one of the songs. And he was actually in the band for like a short amount of time. He was in the music video for The Faceless. Ah, I see. Um, but he ended up having to, to leave for some reason. So Jordan and I ended up tracking the bass together. Ah. So Jordan tracked bass for a couple of the songs and he flew home and then it was yeah, just me and Moose there. And Moose oh. was already done, so I tracked bass on like 60% of the album. And then I was, yeah, pretty much just left with me there to do the lead guitar stuff. Interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that is a very, I don't know. I mean, now, was there any a time, was there any a time, that, that sounded dumb. Was there any time where you all got together, though? Um, You mean during the writing process? Yeah, like the whole band getting together during that writing process. So I was brought in to this whole thing very, very late in the process. So like I said, um, when Moose hit me up, that was literally only like four or five weeks before they flew me out to track my stuff in the studio. Ah, it was that soon. Okay. Yeah. So I, I came in very, very late in the process. So there were like a couple of parts on the album that I like, rhythm parts that i rewrote but it was like mostly riffs under guitar solos so that they would work better for what i wanted to do other than that other than that jordan wrote everything okay all right so really there hasn't even been a time that you guys have really even been able to you know just like hang out up until that well we did have points that we could hang out during that trip you know like after we were done during the day we'd go out and you know, go to the pub and get drinks and hang out and do stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So based on, you know, getting to know everyone's personalities and things, you think this would work as a touring band? Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. Every, everybody's like super laid back and chill. And there's, you know, out of all the times that we've flown out and done studio stuff and hung out together, there's never been a single argument between anybody, Oh, very you cool. know, so it's, it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's a good situation. Oh, very cool. Okay. And now, I I didn't say this before, but I've actually, I lived in Texas, and I've also lived in the UK. So it is a big, yeah, it's a big culture shock, I'm sure, to go over there. Now, you've toured, I'm assuming you've toured Europe before, probably multiple times, right? 
Yeah, I have. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's not it's not hugely different for you. But is there anything that you look forward to, like knowing you were going over to the UK? Was there anything that you enjoyed or were looking forward to when you were going back? Um, you know, touring is a weird thing because you go to a lot of places, but you don't see much. Yeah, right. Um, because especially over there, you know, like once your bus driver leaves, you know, you'll you'll get to a venue before you even wake up. Mm-hmm. And then when you wake up, your bus driver is gone and you're just kind of stuck in that area. Right. So I've been, I've been to a lot of places in the UK, but I've really only seen venues, a bunch of venues in the surrounding area. Okay. So I was just excited to go someplace that I hadn't been before and hang out with these guys and get to see a bit more of the UK which is nice. Um, but also the area that we went to wasn't the greatest. Sure. The was. And even the guys were like, Oh, I don't know if I want to go back there, <laughs> but it was still nice to, it was nice to have a change of scenery, you know, right. After being in Utah for so long. Exactly. Exactly. And then also, <laughs> I mean, not even knowing what was going to happen with COVID where you really can't travel at all right basically so it's like I, I actually went over to uk in january i went over to liverpool okay so i was hanging out there with some people and it was just it was kind of surreal to get back and that was when most things started to lock down so it was oh, nice you okay. know what i mean it was nice to get that travel in and really enjoy yourself for a little bit not knowing that you might not be traveling for the next year or so right um yeah, the, the area that we tracked the album in is Blackpool. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, I can understand why you don't really want to go back there. <laughs> yeah, and it was cold and rainy and yep. dirty, and it's like, God, I'd never, I would never want to come back here. Yeah, that's a tougher, I, I am familiar with the area, and apologies to all the people listening in Blackpool, but I think... I think most people <laughs> will understand that for sure. The question... Yeah. I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the way that they described it to me before I got there is it's kind of like a, oh, it's kind of like a shitty Vegas on the coast. (laughs) And they're like, this is where like all the college kids come to party for the weekend and then they go home. Yes. And they're like, that's the point of the town. Yep. That is, that is basically, they were not lying to you. And I'm sure you saw. Yeah, I got there and like, yeah, that's, that's spot on. (laughs) Well, now, you know, there's, there's little things and stuff that I like in the UK. Do you have any, like, did you enjoy the food, the, like, candy, beer? Was there anything that you could get over there that you couldn't get here yeah. that you enjoy? Um, man, so one thing I really liked that they don't have a lot here in the States um, are all the, the hard ciders. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, they do have a, they have a big selection because most, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the beer companies over there, they also tend to make a cider. Right. Um, and here there's really only like Strongbow and... Angry Orchard, stuff like that. Yeah, but oh, man, over there, there was one in particular, and I can't remember the name, but I'm trying it to was think. really good. I can picture the beer glass right now. That's what I can actually picture it because ciders aren't normally my thing. So I'm thinking of like, for me, I, I love Carlsberg. I love a lot of the different styles of Pilsners. Oh, uh, okay. So they have... Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Moose and I are really big on IPAs. Oh, so, okay. All right. So anywhere we go, um, that's a him and I just go straight and 
we try to find the best IPA in that bar. Interesting. That's our thing. Yeah. Now, I would assume, does Utah have a lot of craft breweries, I would think, right? Yeah, because the downside of Utah is that all the domestic stuff is just like carbonated water. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. you've got you've got the crazy craft breweries here where like normal beers are like five to six percent. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they go up to crazy stuff that are like seventeen to twenty percent beers as well. Wow. So trying to to balance <laughs> out the the lack of good domestic stuff here. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I want to say maybe I've had some 14s or 15s before, but I don't think I've had 17 to 18. Uh, yeah, they have one here called like Devastator or something like that. <laughs> and it's around like 18 or 19. I I have never personally tried it, but I can't imagine it tastes good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is really funny. All right. So like I said, I, I love going off on tangents on things, but... I think what I want to check on is you're obviously you you hope to go out and tour obviously, but mm-hmm. what about Kill the Lights makes you most excited? Man, I gotta say the reception of everything so far is oh, really awesome. exciting because we, like I was saying, we were sitting on that out completely finished album for about two years. Wow. Yeah. Um. So, you know, after all of the planning and then COVID happening and having to redo all the marketing stuff and figuring out, figuring out what we're going to do, mm-hmm. it's extremely nice to see how well the album's being received so far. Yeah. And on top of that, we weren't even sure how it was going to be received because, you know, we're, we all have like a metalcore background mm-hmm. and the point of it was kind of to bring that kind of metal back. Yeah. You know, the, the early 2000s, really catchy metalcore type stuff. And there's been a lack of that for a long time. So we were all kind of like, do people even want this anymore? Uh, you know, is this going to, you know, is this, it, are we going to put all this work into it? And it's just going to flop. <laughs> um, but luckily it's doing the complete opposite. And people seem to really be enjoying it. And in fact, saying, yeah, this is what metal needed again, you know, because there's been a huge lack of that. Yeah, you guys have been really really good with the center of not only bringing back that kind of old school metal core but mm-hmm. also adding in some of that old school metal as right. well you know it's it's an amalgamation of a lot of different influences and we all know obviously coming from so many different bands yeah. you guys have obviously tons of different and actually one of the things i i enjoyed as well was on spotify i believe for every band member except for chris that you can get a playlist of all your different influences. Right. That's a cool idea. So to kind of put all that stuff, not only your influences in life, but then also your previous bands, mm-hmm. put that all together for Kill the Lights is, I don't know if it's been done before this way. And you're you're right to be nervous because it's it's tough now, I think, for anyone to like anything. So... Yeah, yeah, was like, God, everybody's so negative and the cancel culture going around at the moment. It's like, man, is it safe to like anything that I actually like anymore? Exactly. Yeah, you know, you you don't know what band that was an influence or something might not. You might not quote unquote be allowed to listen to them anymore because you have no idea. Like it's a very, very strange wilderness that you have to kind of tiptoe around now. But 
Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things to ask as well is, so even though you guys aren't like, it's not like you guys are crazy old or anything. It's not like you're you right. know, Metallica age or anything, but you yeah. guys have, like I would consider because you guys have all had separate prosperous careers and been in the scene for so long, you guys are veterans. So is there something that you think you can bring to this band that other bands don't have? You know, oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I got to get that's one. a really tough question. <laughs> um, you know, I think the fact that we have done this for so long, mm-hmm. um, it's just we know we kind of know what not to do. Ah, okay. So, like, we all we we all have like a head start in a way, mm-hmm. and we all know, um, you know. All of us have made mistakes, like not personally over the years, but like the bands have made stupid, you know, business mistakes or whatever. So it's really nice that we don't have to go through that whole trial and error thing. Right. So um, I think us being able to have a head start on that and know what we need to do can also help the fans in a way because we can instantly start bringing them like quality content and quality live shows. And we can get music out quickly. You know, everything is just like super streamlined. Right, right. Well, when you said, you know, it took, what, eight to nine months or so to kind of negotiate with Fearless because you all had to be happy, you know, before you went ahead and signed. I mean, right there, I think, shows your prowess for what you've done in the past. You right. know, I'm sure, you know, previous bands that any one of you have been in have made label mistakes before. So, yeah, to learn definitely. from that. And that's, yeah. So um, we worked with our manager, Ryan, for that whole time. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of the in-between. And that's exactly what we wanted to avoid. Makes you know, sense. we wanted to make sure that everybody in the band was happy and also that everybody at the label was happy. Right. And um, usually people don't know what to look out for. And you know, fortunately we, we've had that experience and also our manager is very experienced. So, um, yeah, just everything involving that, I think, um, is a, is a plus for us, you know? No, that, that completely makes sense. Now I did want to ask something I, I probably should ask before because it's going to seem like kind of a, a right turn here, but you know, you've been in so many different bands and the guys have been in so many different bands mm-hmm. when you're looking at kill the lights. Do you, in your mind, do you compartmentalize how you want the music to sound? Or is it more of a free-flowing thing? Like, are you in your head, are you going, okay, I don't want what I'm doing to sound like Threat Signal? You know what I mean? Is it something that you're going to put different? Or does it just flow from you because you're able to tell this is a style of music that we're making? It's it's a bit of both. Um, but one thing that we consciously did was... Um, well, I mean, I guess I wasn't a, part, a huge part of the writing process on um, the first album, but we have already been writing a lot for the follow-up. So oh, awesome. now I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting to experience that now. Um, but we haven't wanted to put any restraints on anything. Okay. And we, we want it to feel, you know, for everybody to have that, that spark of excitement that you have when you're in a band when you're young. You know, everybody is kind of jaded in ways because of bands that they've been in Mm -hmm. and maybe things haven't gone the way that they wanted them to or whatever. But we wanted to kind of throw all that out the window and be like, all right, let's just write and see what happens. And that's exactly what what 
what happened with the center, you know, yeah. none of the guys came into the room being like, all right, this is what we need to sound like that came together because everybody just started writing and tossing out ideas. And that's what came out. Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, that's cool. But then also to hear that you guys are already writing new material is also oh. great to hear as well. Yeah. We literally had to um, go through all of our demos that we have the other day, just to pick out our top 15, ah. each picking out our top 15. So we've easily got twice that much already wow. written. That's awesome. Now, is that is that something? Because I mean, I know from you all having previous bands, I think that's that's probably one of the things that's changed a lot in the landscape of the scene. Is that? And I just had this discussion recently with a band called Thousand Below, where okay. we're talking about singles over albums. Or yeah. if you're gonna do, you know what I mean? If you're gonna do a full album, not waiting two or three years to put something out. It's almost you now in order to stay quote unquote relevant or to I don't know if it's just because everyone's content hungry or not, but you mm -hmm. kind of have to put things out even quicker. So you're trying to modify that from previous bands that you guys have been in to kind of put material out even faster now. Yeah. I don't even know if it's us consciously doing that. It's just the fact that uh, a lot of us write oh. and we write music and there's, and like we'll write just because we want to, not even because, you know, the other guys are like, Hey, we need to write music right now. It's just everybody's constantly writing stuff whenever they feel, you know, inspired to do that. So uh, okay. um, we've always got like this, this like back catalog of demos to go through. Gotcha. And I know that's I'm I'm good friends with the guys in Periphery. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I've known Misha for a really long time, mm -hmm. and I know they've got like albums and yeah. albums worth of material that they can just dig through whenever they're like, "Hey, I need an idea." Right. And I like having the ability. You know, we don't have near that many songs in a back catalog catalog yet because we're still new. But yeah. it's nice to be able to just go back through demos and be like, "Oh, that's cool. Let's work on that." I see. you know. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, if you were to have anything close to what Periphery has by now, that would be insane. I mean, oh. I, I think there was a time where they were putting out like double albums every like yeah. less than a year. So yes, yeah, yeah, they were putting out albums almost once a year for a while. But I still, I, I write all my music on my computer first before I demo it. Okay. I use this, um, this program called Guitar Pro, yeah. and I actually, you know, I tab out all of my music, all everything I write, I tab it out just because if I if I'm not constantly playing something, I forget it. So it's mostly just because I don't have like this crazy memory to be able to you know write something and then years later recall it and be like, oh, that's how you play it. I right. I'll forget it if I don't play it for you know a couple of weeks. So I have I have riffs all the way back from when I was high school wow. in high school still on my computer huh. in guitar profile. So like I personally have like a massive back catalog of riffs and demos that I didn't use for other bands and wow. things like that that I can go back and work on. Huh. That's really interesting. Now, can you I mean you've been doing this for so long. If you were to I know you tab everything out, but if you were just to hear, you know, one of the tracks on on the center Mm -hmm. Would you be able to just by hearing it know what you're supposed to be playing? Uh, I can get really close. Like I don't have, I don't have perfect pitch in any way. Okay. Um, 
but because I've transcribed so much music over the years and just how long I've been playing, um, I have really good relative pitch. Okay. So like if I, if I hear something, I'd say like 75% of the time I could like pretty much immediately know what area on the neck of the guitar that's being played at. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm not good enough where I can hear something and be like, Oh, that's, that's what they're doing. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, I would say you're, you're an extremely talented guitar player. It's just not that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like I said, been following your career for a long time. Like you're one of my favorite guitarists. So that's why this is awesome. Yeah. And then, like I said, kill the lights with sin with the sinner. I mean, it just brought an extra level to hear what you're what you're continuing to be able to do. So I, I've been very impressed for sure. Thanks. I try to um, every every major release that I put out, I try to push myself. And um, like I said, I write all of my solos in Guitar Pro first, and yep. then I like then I learn how to play them. So um, I know Jason Richardson did a lot of his stuff on you know in the same exact way yeah and i think he's actually stopped doing that recently but that's like one of the reasons why you know most of his music is just absolutely insane is because you write this crazy stuff on the computer and you're like oh well now i've actually got to try to play it (laughs) and and that's what i do with every album i've been on so yeah yeah (laughs) that's that's, that is pretty insane there now can you can you tell us because you you started talking about it before. You mentioned that there were some you really pushed your limit on. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your, for you, the toughest solo you had in the center? So the two toughest ones are Open open Your Eyes yep. and also Plagues. Ah, yes. Okay, sure. Um, Plagues is the one, that whole very first part of it, it's just like, I wrote it and... It's it's always like five BPM or so faster than what I'm comfortable ah, playing. Okay. Like no matter how much I warm up, every time I get to that part, I'm always like kind of shocked at how quick it is, <laughs> um, because it's really uncomfortable to play. Ah, I see. Okay. It's there's a lot of like string skipping and stuff going on. So like I'm having you're having to mute the string in the middle and you're skipping over it. And it's all like really quick patterns. So it's like. If it was just like five BPM slower, it would be way more manageable. But it's like just past that point of like, it doesn't matter how much I warm up. It's one of those things where live, I, I'll probably only be able to nail it like 80% of the time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah. if all of a sudden you were to get that call, hey, we're going to be going out on tour, you're going to need about a month or so, like you said, to kind of get as close as possible Right. To make sure that you're there. Um, yeah, I, I practice that solo every time I pick up my guitar just to keep it fresh and, um, you know, try to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if I was practice, practicing that every day for a month, I could do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's just because it's not because I'm putting in, I'm not putting in the crazy amount of practice that I would if I was actually preparing for something. Yeah. It's, and it's definitely a weird time right now, too, because right. everything's up in the air. So, yeah. That yeah, it's like I got to keep my chops up, but also for how long? Like, you know, <laughs> how long am I going to have to keep practicing and not knowing when I'm actually going to have to, you know, play these songs? Right. Well, now, I guess that leads into, do you guys have plans for doing more of those kind of streaming events like you did before? 
Uh, nothing, nothing being talked about right now. Okay. Uh, I know fearless wanted to do that because a lot of their bands are doing that and there's a bunch of other bands doing it right now. So it's kind of the, the thing to do. Yeah. So they figured it would go really well. Um, but there's no plans to do another one anytime soon. Okay. All right. All right, Travis. Well, I think, you know, I looked at the time we are getting to around an hour and that's when, you know, some attention spans kind of wane. So I think this is kind of a good place to end here. And I just wanted to once again mention I was blown away by Kill the Lights. Uh, I was not expecting, you know, when they first started the promotion, I wasn't really sure. I saw the lineup. I was like, wow, I like all these people. But is this going to come off the way that they want it to? And it did. You know, it really did. Awesome. Yeah, the sinners. That's good been, to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's been one of those things where it, like I said, it came out. You kind of heard the rumblings of it. And obviously, obviously, you guys put out the cover single, so we got an idea of what it could be. But even that that single is not like the sinner. So no. it brought back, just like you mentioned, it brought back that nostalgia while also being fresh. Mm-hmm. which is something that is very difficult to pull off these days. So I congratulate that was our goal, you on that. So yeah. that's good to hear. No, absolutely. Definitely congratulations on that. So Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have links in the description of the episode so that everyone can follow you on social media, follow the band on social media, you know, pick up the center, pick up some merch, because obviously right now with everything that's going on, that is the best way, or one of the best ways anyways, to support artists is to make sure you really, you know, let them know right. that you're enjoying what they're doing and giving that source of income. But is there any other better way right now to support you guys? Man, honestly, I think because, you know, even though we've all been doing this for a long time, you know, we're still, we're starting fresh. We're a new band. So streaming the album or buying our album, whatever you can do to help that way is the best thing you could be doing right now. All right, yeah, and I, I hope people are, I will certainly recommend that people do. The Sinner has been on repeat for me. I've been able to put it not nice. only in playlists, <laughs> but also listen straight through. And that is actually, by the way, that is one thing I did want to mention to you. 11 tracks with no filler, that was awesome. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, I, I look, when someone does a concept album, you know, it's cool to hear an intro, you know, something like that here, uh, an interlude here and there for sure. Mm-hmm. But to come out of the gate swinging like that with 11 straightforward metalcore tracks like that, that was a great idea. Awesome. Yeah, man, we put, we gave every song a massive amount of attention. There like wasn't one song on the album that we just kind of brushed off. You know, every song got its, you know, definite amount of attention when writing and tracking it. Absolutely. And I, I know people, I know I hear it. I know other people hear it because I obviously I hear the chatter of what's going on in the scene. So I know people Mm -hmm. are saying the same thing. So man, Travis, once again, this was awesome to be able to talk to you. Like I said, been following your career for a long time. So, you know, being in this industry for over seven years and now finally being able to do this. Thank you once again for coming on the show. Oh man. Thank you for having me. This has been, this has been really cool. Thank you, man.